Welcome everybody back to Evolving Door Podcast. Uh, this is a very special episode. We're doing this little mini-series in the middle of Series 1, and this little mini-series is brought to you by the Road to Vrindavan documentary, a documentary that I've been making about uh, the challenges that girls in India face accessing education and how we really need to also bring men and boys into that conversation to, to have a community-wide approach to it. So I'm interviewing a couple of uh, special guests during this period while I'm launching the documentary who I feel have stories to share that touch on some of the topics that are um, raised in cultural and uh, issues and challenges that are faced in the documentary with, with my guests too. So I'm, I'm very happy today to welcome Sheena Jasmat. Uh, welcome Sheena. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Really nice. excited to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And we, we, we spoke briefly yesterday and I, I know now you're like a mindset coach and you're doing some really good stuff with your life, but you've, you've had some challenges along the way, um, as we all have. It makes us, yeah. uh, makes us, makes us a bit better. Um, it helps us to grow and be a more rounded person. So tell me, you grew up, tell me a little bit about life growing up, I suppose, initially, just as a, as a young girl. Okay, so I was born and grew up in Dudley in the West Midlands of the UK. Um, I still live here now. So my my parents, well, yeah, my parents have never left um, the the area. Um, I did go away to university and and have lived elsewhere, but have found myself kind of come full circle and back home again. Um, Yeah, growing up was fairly busy. Um, I've got two sisters one older one younger um my dad had his own business so worked full-time mum was was at home but we also lived with my um grandmother my dad's mum and my dad's brother who has got um learning difficulties so he always like my uncle lived with us as well so the house was busy (laughs) is that what they call uh like a sort of a joint family kind of set up a little bit um sort of an extended family it's quite it can be quite common in like Asian families where uh, I think like my dad has two brothers and two sisters and him being the oldest son when he got married my mum moved in with the family Hmm. whereas when his sisters got married they obviously moved out to their respective new families Hmm. and um yeah then his younger brother got married and he obviously moved out because there wasn't room for everybody in the house but because of that we grew up having my grandmother and uncle still in the house with us um which for us was normal like mm. you know it was a little bit strange I think growing up and going to school and having to explain to friends and stuff like who you lived with and why you were the <laughs> extra people <laughs> yeah yeah um and it was it three girls uh you didn't have any brothers no brothers no yeah it's exactly the same as um, my wife Tina she she's grew up in Birmingham from a Punjabi family three girls her father's the oldest uh, son as well. So it's quite similar, similar sort of setup. Yeah. So, yeah, dad, yeah, surrounded by a lot of women. <laughs> um, but I would say that growing up, fairly normal, you know, life. Um, in comparison to maybe other families in the Asian community, we probably had a little bit more freedom. My parents were a little bit more liberal, hmm. um, maybe didn't involve ourselves as much in the community as many other people did we were never very religious we didn't you know temp going to the temple and things like that weren't part of our agenda I'm not sure why just didn't happen mm-hmm. um and then I think the as I got older into teenage years the big difference there was we moved house mm-hmm. we moved to a predominantly white area and I I think my parents didn't really know much about the neighboring kind of village but when we moved, we had to obviously move schools. And I think I was seven when I started this new school. Me and my older sister were the only two Asians in the school. Like everybody was white. And I think that was the first time I realized that racism existed. Really? And that we were very different. Um before that the school I attended was in a it was right in the heart of Dudley which was very mixed race there's lots you know you just didn't notice yeah yeah um and then all of a sudden it's just the two of us um I was quite young so I don't have a lot of memories but I do remember feeling very alone do you think that um it was because 
you just looked different from everyone else or did you actually f uh, feel like did where were things said and you know was it kind of more overt or more kind of uh, you know not so overt my sister at the time would have been about 10 or 11 she was quite um out yeah outright there was racism to, to she was a target you know she had some very unpleasant things said to her yeah. um one of the things that she always reminds me about is somebody told her why don't you put talcum powder on your face so you can blend in wow yes um i don't remember things being said to me but apparently it happened and i was only told this recently um got into a bit of a Facebook debate last year when the Black Lives Matter stuff was all going on mm -hmm. um, with a few people from school and somebody came on and said I remember my first encounter of racism was somebody saying something at primary school to somebody and I thought for a second I was like well I was the only person it could have been said to so I, I spoke up I said oh it was probably me and this girl said it was you I'm so sorry she felt awful because she hadn't said anything at the time she yeah. heard something being said to me and she knew it was wrong mm. but she's like I, I wish i'd have said something i said well firstly i don't remember <laughs> so don't mm. worry about it obviously didn't affect me that much but that you know that was the first time i realized things had been said to me but it's an interesting point isn't it too about how with as you mentioned black lives matter and the the way the world is over the last couple of years in particular people are becoming aware that you don't need it doesn't need to be happening to you directly to to speak out or to support yeah. others who are who are being persecuted or to to challenge the way things have been for a long time just because they've been like that for a long time yes yeah. so whether it's um kind of racism or sexism or whatever it may be um it's um it it requires all of us like it's a societal issue it's not just oh that's just a brown person's issue or that's just a woman's issue or do you know what i mean it's yeah a, exactly that it's a, it's a whole society issue so you were growing up um and felt a sort of a real sense of of loneliness or you know maybe separate uh from everyone else and um, did you ever also uh and if you did when did it happen whether it was in your own family or in the wider community notice that there was sort of different rules for girls and boys um, I, you know, it was always something that was there and I just don't think we felt it as much as maybe other families would have done. I, I know there were girls my age in the Asian community where things like having friends that were boys wouldn't have been allowed. Hmm. Now I didn't have like boys coming over to my house, but they were in my friendship circle um I remember when my little sister was still um very young so probably around seven eight her and her best friend were best friends with um these two boys that were twins so and the four of them were <laughs> inseparable mm -hmm. and I remember her birthday parties it was always just the four of them so for us it it wasn't really an issue I guess as I got older my parents would have been a bit worried about you know when you when my friends are out there having boyfriends and dating that didn't happen but, but when I you say it didn't happen was it was it that it didn't happen or was it that it wasn't allowed to happen if you know what I mean it was an unspoken you can't go out and get a boyfriend mm. I don't remember it being said I think it was just that that mm. would not be appropriate um but having said that it wasn't forbidden you know it wasn't don't talk to boys or don't be friends with them it was just like you can't have a boyfriend be careful kind of yeah yeah having said that I was the first of the three of us to come home with a boyfriend <laughs> when I was ooh, 17 so you know it wasn't like really young but yeah. still not appropriate it didn't go down well uh -huh. um and it was the first kind of situation like that my parents had had to deal with and you told you because a lot of times when in when the cultural norms are that you're not supposed to do it, people just do it anyway, but they don't tell their parents. So why did you kind of um, I mean, that was interesting. Did you why did you decide to, you know, to introduce the guy to your parents? I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. 
yeah i didn't see what i was doing wrong and i wanted we'd always been quite honest so i didn't want to hide it mm. um so i told them thinking you know what what i don't know i just didn't see the consequence i didn't really understand um how it could have you know gone that wrong really what, what um, happened oh um in summary i remember two weeks of it being very uncomfortable at home my parents were like this isn't happening that's not allowed to happen i didn't bring him home i told them about him mm. and they were like no and the reason was you meant to concentrate on your education and that isn't allowed to happen um my older sister tried to stand up for me and you know support me um and if i'm honest um I can't remember exactly how it all kind of came about that it was kind of agreed that I could continue the relationship but my dad didn't want to know anything about it and he wasn't allowed to come to the house um and it was just something I did it was a part of my life that they didn't really want to know about yeah so which was a shame um but we continued as we were and it wasn't that wasn't that uncomfortable um no I don't remember anything really obviously sticking out that it was a really horrible time or anything like that just um, uncomfortable initially yeah yeah and then maybe when I did ever have to bring something up that involved him it was always a really like oh god how am I going to do this how do I approach it mm. like when I wanted to go on holiday yes you know that was a whole nother debate yeah, because um, then obviously it's it's the whole thing of then you're going to be together kind of alone and all yeah. that. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I suppose it's uh, it's all relative, isn't it? Because when I was making the documentary, a lot of times the girls, for fear that they might get involved with boys, are just not allowed to have an education or even go out of the house. So at least yes. in one sense, you know, the, your parents were thinking, well, we, we really emphasizing on education, but while you're doing that, um, you know, try not to get involved with boys, but at yeah. least, you know, the, the, the restrictions were, were not so much, but we, we, we spoke about this briefly the other day as well. And it's fascinating. Um, uh, it's not just in Indian culture, but in many cultures, the, the pressure that's put on the girls, this idea that they carry the honor of the family yeah. and, you know, if anything was to happen or not even necessarily to happen but if the community thinks or talks about that anything might have happened then somehow the whole honor of the family is uh, where do you think that comes from and what is it like as a girl to have to carry that um i mean i guess it comes from the old tradition of the whole you the girl has to come from a respectable family for marriage, I think it's mean. all linked to the whole, yeah, for the marriage purposes. And I think it's all to do with the dowry and things like that. And, you know, I'll be honest, I don't know that much about it. I don't know how much mm. of it still exists. Mm. But if you... If but the you idea are... still exists, doesn't it? The idea... Oh, massively. Yeah, massively. even in England or America or whatever, it doesn't have to be even in India, right? Yeah. So, you know, even in other countries, the cultural thing is if a girl is... I'm not saying it's every family, but mm -hmm. if a girl is looking to get married and even if she's met someone, the family may, it doesn't just matter about what, how the girl is or what she's done in her life. It's the family as a whole, the reputation of the whole family. So your sibling may have done something that is a bit inappropriate and that could go against you. Uh, yeah. So it wouldn't have been a case of Shane has done this and it's not that great. It's more of like this affects the entire family is how it is looked at. And what I actually didn't mention was my boyfriend was white. Yeah. So, you know, that was an issue too, right? No, oh, that was huge. Um, but you know, I only really had white friends because of the schools I went to. Mm. So it wasn't a, I didn't select my friends because of their color. I selected my friends from the people around me. Yeah. And, um, you know, growing up, when I look back, I didn't have many, very, uh, very many Asian friends. Mm. Um, 
again, it was just because of the people I mixed with and the situations I was in. How did it feel uh, for you or for friends that you knew to to be carrying that weight of, oh, if you do anything wrong, it can you know ruin our whole relation, um, reputation. And yet you could see boys even in, in um, and Asian families are pretty much more or less allowed to do what they want. And it doesn't seem to be that it will affect the reputation. So that must be a big burden as a girl. Yeah. Um, again, like I said, because our family was slightly more liberal and the, that pressure wasn't there as much, but it was, it was still there to a certain extent. Ours was a bit more, uh, it was a bit more about not just wanting to disappoint our parents you know mm. when you could see my dad's face when I told him about the boyfriend and that struggle and the fact that he was going to how does he tell his friends or people about this and he, he probably didn't he probably just kept it to himself mm. um so I think for us it wasn't there were never conversations like you can't do that because this will in, impact this or this will have an effect for us growing up it was always just this so you sort, of, you sort of knew, but it wasn't necessarily said to you. But how how, how do you think that works? Like, because obviously you pick up these things. Is it just from hearing about what other people say about people if they've done it? Or how do you pick it up, do you think? It, I'm just thinking it must be just listening to my parents talk with other parents and the kind of conversations they'd have about, oh, well, this person's daughter went and did this or this person's son has gone and done this and you know did you hear about that and, and the gossip is oh it's terrible um and as much as my parents weren't involved in the community community as much as other people they were still part of the community so the conversation still happened and because they knew that what people talked about they just didn't want their daughters to be part of that gossip nobody wants to be um speak of negatively isn't it and i think um there's a in in the documentary i spoke to this girl called shika ubero and she was india's number one professional tennis player um and she spoke of uh, the aunties you know the um and often um sh the way she shared it was in the context of often speaking about other women as well so now uh, people are talking about this idea of women supporting other women and men supporting women and so on but often um so what what uh, have you had any experience is another thing that was mentioned in the film is is that you know the girl goes to the in-laws family so she's coming into a new family and often the mother-in-law they tend to go two ways one is you know i experienced certain challenges growing up and i i don't want it to be like that for you i want it to be better for you or I experienced all these things growing up that's the way it is you get with the program and you're going to have to deal with it as well so just broadly like what, what what do you think about some of that i mean i yeah i know it happens i th again this is just what i i have heard but i think that is predominantly something that is very um apparent in punjabi families mm. more so than i'm gujarati and i'm okay. not saying it doesn't happen mm. But I'm, I know that there's less, um, I think for my generation, there are still girls who will get married or ladies that get married and then move in with the in-laws. In Gujarati families, it doesn't happen as often anymore or hardly ever really. So they would have their own house and... Yes. Yeah. And because of that, it's less so. Um, but again... I've always felt that, you know, I, I'm unmarried and had I married in our culture or um, I think there would be an expectation on me about, you know, can she cook food? Will she be able to look after us? So, like there's, it may not, I just, it, there's this perception of you have to be a good Indian girl to get you know what does that mean so you're saying cooking homely all of these things is that is that more broad broadly what it means yeah i feel like you know there'll be certain expectations um and you your behaviors i think i'd have to change who i am as a person 
or you would feel like you'd have to change i mean i feel i'm not saying it would happen yeah i'm not mm -hmm. saying that i'm just saying that i think in a lot of circumstances i feel like i would have to change to fit in you know there is people make jokes about oh do you know how to cook indian food and can you make chapatis and you know because, how, how round are your chapatis <laughs> yeah and it's it's joked about but at the same time it's coming from a place that's fairly serious because girls would have been judged on these things to make yeah. sure they were good wife material yeah but isn't that i suppose that's the interesting thing isn't it because because you know when anybody gets married you know obviously you have it's a partnership you have to you know there's certain things that you have to decide between you who's going to do what and whatever and you know somebody has to cook unless you unless you have a chef yeah. or something <laughs> you know so um so but i think that the the one thing i learned from making the documentary is not so much that you know whether um a woman cooks or not but it, but is that that is that all that defines her like is that is like in other words is her role as a wife as a mother like is that how we see her and beyond that she 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 doesn't really um get to express herself you know what i mean yeah i think i think i'm trying to just it's quite difficult for me because i'm not in that situation and i'm trying to take from what i know of other people's relationships well how about like because um okay. you 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 um you aren't married, right? Um, and mm -hmm. you mentioned I, I will, I will, I'll let you say your age if you want to. But like, it, you know, especially in uh, Indian culture, but even you know, anywhere in the world, people sort of set a sort of a, a timeline, or people feel a pressure of a timeline, um, yeah. which which is put on us by, you know, who knows, you know, movies, culture, whatever. Um, and there's a lot of influencers now talking about, you know, do things at your own pace. You know, you don't have to stick to that timeline. It's kind of just, um, but how have, what was your experience been um, in the, in the community kind of not being married? Has it, have you felt pressure? Have you, have you, have you people talked about it? I've, um, I haven't felt obvious pressure from anybody. Hmm. I think if there's been any pressure, it's from myself. Hmm um and more so in like i probably question oh you know why can't i meet somebody what's wrong with me how come it's not happened for me yet mm. at the same time people i think very find it unusual that coming from an asian family i am still unmarried because they would have just expected it my family to have found somebody suitable but you know that was never the case for us it was never going to be you you will pick who you marry Okay. You, it was always you you can find who you want to unless you want us to um you know i have had relationships they haven't worked out hmm. um, and did you ever consider asking the family to maybe introduce someone or was that never an issue my mum mentions it every now and again and i just i can't see that that's for me it to me it's just too I'd need to know the person I know, you know, that I'd, yeah, I just need to connect, be able to connect to the person before I know there's anything there. And I just don't think the reason I don't think it would happen is because I don't think anybody really up until now, I've only just discovered who I am. So how does anyone know else know me that well? Well, isn't that brilliant? Isn't that brilliant? Like that, you know, cause I feel like that too, you know, we're always growing up Yeah. and even like I'm, gonna be i think i'll be 49 later this year and um yeah i still feel like i'm getting to know myself <laughs> you know yeah. and and um that's a really amazing point you make actually because often you know people do get married when they're young and and then you know people change naturally um so that bringing it back to you then so you you are in a great place and it's 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 super we were talking the other day about it but tell me kind of if it's okay to say you shared with me that you'd had uh, struggled with alcohol so when yep. do you remember having your first drink and then also when did you start to remember that maybe it, there were signs that it was troublesome for you um my first drink was probably late teens so before legal age hmm. but not that long before legal age probably about 16 17 i'd say Mm. um again once I was allowed to drink it wasn't something that my parents were like you can't drink you're hide it from people or you don't be going out doing this and that again a little bit more freedom we yeah. were told to be sensible um 
but you know you, you're allowed to go out and do things like that so that was fine went to university you know usual student where lifestyle sorry where, where did you go to uni liverpool oh cool so was that that was kind of away from home as well what what, what was that did you get into the party thing hard or was it just um i wouldn't say like I felt like, oh, I've suddenly got this freedom. I can do what I want because I already felt like I had a little bit of that anyway. Mm. Um, and I can't even remember why I picked Liverpool. You know, it wasn't a case of the f far, far away. In fact, out of me and my sisters, I probably went the closest. They went, <laughs> they both went to university in Yorkshire. Wow. Um, so yeah, I just, I just had a normal student lifestyle. Um, parents were fully aware of what I was getting up to probably most of the time um I think the struggles and maybe the problematic drinking probably started when I first got my first graduate job mm. um what did you study geology and geography cool and then what was your what job what was the job you went into so after that, I stayed on and did a master's in civil engineering, like environmental civil engineering. And then I went to work for a consultants firm doing um, contaminated land studies. Oh. So basically <laughs> digging up soil and water. <laughs> um, the job was fine, um, but I suddenly realized I was feeling very alone. Mm. Um, my expectation of what that moving to a new city and getting this job was going to be didn't quite work out as I expected it to so I don't know where I got what I thought was going to happen um I thought I was going to just live this amazing young professional lifestyle and make friends and socialize and it was going to be amazing it wasn't quite like that mm. um and I found myself quite alone mm. um and I think that is probably when I remember coming home from work feeling a bit lonely a bit sad not particularly like, I wouldn't say I was depressed, but just like a bit nothingy. And I would drink by myself. I wouldn't drink heavily, but that is when I think, you know, the. Would you say that you started leaning on alcohol in a way, I suppose, to, to kind of fill the gap or. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. I think from that point, again, still not very problematic then, but it had started. Hmm. Um, and then as years progressed, I found that all I did for the next probably 10 years or so was move around from job to job, city to city, because I just never felt settled anywhere, couldn't figure out where I was meant to be. Something always felt like it was missing or wasn't quite right. So mm. rather than me think about what that could be or is it something about me? I just kept moving, thinking I'll find it in the next place. I'll find it in the next job. Mm. I'll find it in the next country. I moved to Australia for three years. Um, and it's when I got to Australia that, I mean, the mental health had probably from the age of about 28, 29 had started to be a bit up and down. But when mm. I moved to Australia, do you mean like, sorry. um, no, no, sorry. Do you mean like, um, um, like feeling up and down or how did it, how did it show itself? Yeah. So I'd go through stages of just feeling really low, very unhappy, um, spend a lot of time by myself. If I did socialize with my friends, they always knew that Shana wasn't particularly in a good place right now. They, nothing I wouldn't say anything big happened around those times I was just not in the best place mm. um and that's why every time I moved it would start well because you know new things are exciting new Fresh things are interesting and, yeah um but again went to Australia and that was a really <laughs> fresh start and if for a while that was really good and you know that could have been very different um unfortunately I got in a relationship there didn't go very well and within a year we split up um 
but not long after we'd separated, I actually found out I was pregnant. Wow. And it, well, A, it was obviously I was completely unprepared for it, full state of panic. And the my ex-partner didn't want mm. the baby. Um, and I didn't tell anybody. Mm. I tried to deal with it by myself. Um, there was a few close friends there that knew. I didn't tell my family. Mm. And, you know, after a few weeks, I, I so I had a termination because he was just not on board. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I sat and I thought about all the different situations and the reasons and all the factors. And for me, although it's what I really wanted, it's what I've always wanted, mm. it was completely the wrong situation. And I, I felt I didn't have another choice. Yeah. And after that, I'd say that's when my mental health spiraled. I did not deal well with that decision. So even um, though you even though you arrived at that decision and and made that decision, it, it still um, played on you on your emotions and mind. Would you say? I think it hit me probably about months after I'd met after it all happened. You know, I thought I dealt with it. I thought I was okay, and a month later or so was when it started to really impact me. Um, and then that is when the drinking increased. The mental health was really bad. I had a lot of time off work. I had to go and stay at my sister's for a few months. Luckily, she was in Australia as well. Mm. Um, and there were a few times that I got, I hit, I was in rock bottom. I felt like I was there for a long time. Um, there were instances where I just, because of the drinking and getting myself into really, really low, dark places, I tried to take my own life a few times. Mm. Um, and after a series of, I think, little things like that happening over a few months and me not being able to hold down my job properly, mm. my parents said, you need to come home because we cannot look after you from, you know, you're on your own there. We can't do what we need to do so they started to become aware that you were not happy but they didn't know why at this stage particularly or they did know eventually so I think one of the times the second time I ended up in hospital a friend of mine um came with me I can't exactly remember but he basically took my phone and just called my sister and at that point the family are now aware of what's going on mm. um but I still stayed in Australia a few months following that, you know, after I talked to mum and dad and my sisters were aware and I tried to pick myself back up and start, you know, get back on track. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it, I, I obviously wasn't well enough and I obviously hadn't dealt with things properly. Mm -hmm. um, and my parents then said, just, you're going to have to come home. So I left and I came home. Mm -hmm. um, again, fresh start <laughs> even though it's returning home it'd been a long time and I it did feel like a fresh start you know the friends the, the life I did have at home was long gone and it's starting over mm. but again had I really dealt with everything probably not so new job new friends new everything all that again lasted for about a year or two before the crack started to appear and I am struggling mm. with nothing in particular but just the stuff that I haven't dealt with and the drinking starts increasing, the mental health isn't doing well, not really, you know, um, performing my job. I don't really like my job anymore. Mm. Um, and that probably continued for about three to four years <clears throat> before. And again, you know, ended up in hospital. Just... Mm. You must have felt, um, I mean, obviously it's great that we're talking about it now where, where yeah. we are and that everything is, has moved on, but you must have felt, um, well, I, I could only imagine, but um, sort of ho hopeless because it's, it, you know, when you've kind of, um, 
fall down and you pull yourself back together and you get up and then it happens again and again. I, I, I know even from my own experiences, like sometimes you, you're thinking, how many times is this going to happen, right? How are you making sense of life at that time? I think I'd got fed up of having to pull myself back up over and over again. And that is probably why even up until oh, I can't remember the last time, you know, I would nothing particularly bad would have to happen before I would just hit a wall and go, do you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. And I'd probably drink too much and I'd take an overdose again. And it feels really ridiculous saying it out loud because you think what was so bad but it was that feeling of I'm done I am done I don't know who I am I don't know what my purpose is what am I doing except hurting everybody around me yeah yeah. and I wanted out Mm. um what was the turning point then um because I I really can um I can hear it when you know you were saying where it didn't seem like there was any particular reason always, but like you were carrying a lot of this um, unresolved, maybe hurt or shame or whatever it was um, that hadn't been, maybe you hadn't sort of uh, dealt with and uh, worked through. So what happened then? Did you reach out to someone or how did you start to turn things around? Um, Well, over the years, I've always had help, whether it be, I've always had very supportive people around me. My family are brilliant. I've got friends that know a lot and have been there Mm. and I've gone and got professional help from all different, you know, places and people. Mm. The turning point was me literally having a word with myself and saying this is ridiculous now you have to stop this you for whatever reason you keep trying to check out of life and you don't it doesn't happen so you're meant to be here do you want to be in this situation no do something um and I think also the the trigger really was the fact that up until that point it was only immediate family um close friends that really knew what was always going on under the surface but there was a particular day just over a year ago when I was at home by myself my parents go to India every um, winter Mm. and I think I'd probably been a few days where I I didn't want to talk to anyone I was kind of getting back in that hole Mm. I was avoiding conversations and answering the phone and things like that Um, and my parents got very worried and they basically just called uh, one of our neighbours who has a key to our house and says, can you just go around and check? So when your neighbours who've seen you grow up walk into your house to check on you, and I wasn't, in, I wasn't like at rock bottom, but I wasn't in a good way. Hmm. That is a point of like, okay, this is, this is, you know, do something about this. Hmm. It's not good. And Um, what did you, what were the next steps then? I mean, I felt, that was the first time I think I felt real shame and guilt. I mean, I'd always felt guilt. The guilt was never goes away because that's why you keep doing the things you're doing. But something then just made me go, this has to stop. So I was taken to stay with my auntie for a couple of weeks um just until we could arrange for me to get a flight to India where my parents were okay um and I again had this little conversation with myself saying when you land there that's it it has to change Hmm. um so I landed in India on the 11th of February last year um and I have not touched a drop of alcohol since I have made an effort every day to work on being a different person and figure out all of the stuff that I've just left unresolved for so many years. Um, Yeah, it's just been, it's a continuous work, but. And what have you done in particular to, to really look at, like you say, the unresolved stuff and, and, and deal with it kind of rather than trying to escape from it? Have you anything in particular or. 
Um, a lot of it was just me doing a lot of, I didn't, I didn't actually have any professional help at the time. I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of mindset books and personal development books that all pointed to the same thing about accepting, accepting all of the things, accepting them, being aware of them, acknowledging them. And whether it's a case of something you've done or somebody's done it to you, if that's how you feel, apologizing to yourself apologizing to them whether they're there or not just forgiveness so it was a lot of acceptance forgiveness and then that gave me the ability to actually let it go I thought I was letting things go but you can't let something go if you've not really processed it in your mind Mm. um so that you know that that was something that I'm still doing but I had a good three months in India which as you know is a very nice place to kind of get your head together and do a bit of soul searching and I was in the perfect place you know nobody to there's no distractions there's no it was just it was amazing to be able to do that and I'm very lucky that I had that opportunity Mm. um I was there for three months because obviously not long after I'd arrived about a month after lockdown happened so we got stuck there really for a few months (laughs) um and I came back to the UK May and just rather than rushing back into things where which is what I normally would have done in the past had I picked myself up from a rock bottom as soon as I felt I was well enough back to work back to the old situation busyness and yeah yeah this time it's like no we're not rushing back into anything um, I actually didn't have my old job anymore, which was a good thing. I needed to have come out of that situation. So I gave myself the time and the space. Luckily, lockdown helps with that. Mm. And I thought, right, what do I really want to do? And what is something that will help me as well as, <sighs> I don't know, you know, it, I wanted to find a job or a career that would just help me, but make me feel good, not be stressful something I could manage on my own terms Hmm. um and then I got myself um a coach myself just to work through a few things and I said oh I'd love to be able to do what you do she said well why don't you do it then Hmm. and I just felt like it was a bigger I don't know it was going to take more than me just deciding (laughs) so no you you can you've got the life experience you've overcome and still are overcoming some things Hmm. but you know what it's like to do that and that is what coaching is is telling people and showing people that you know it's possible to overcome the challenges and the struggles so I thought right that's it that's what I'm gonna do and that was about last summer so I did some training I started to be really open about my journey and my story on social media and it's just kind of gone from there and obviously the drinking just that just wasn't an issue anymore Mm. it's like you make peace with yourself I literally made peace with myself that that just isn't an issue I don't think about it I know some people who stop drinking you know it takes a long time before they can change their mindset and get the cravings out of the way I didn't have any of that and I think it's because I just Mm. I knew that there was no other way Mm. um so yeah that's where i am now <laughs> amazing well first of all huge congratulations uh, over a Thank year you. and um uh you know i it really hit me when you said um acceptance and forgiveness um so sometimes you know the acceptance if we're waiting for the acceptance and forgiveness of others we might be waiting forever right we don't yeah. know uh but if we can accept uh, ourselves for all the things that we think we're unlovable for or that we're so terrible for or whatever. That sounds very, very powerful. And then I think when we spoke briefly the other day, we were talking about when you then started to share your story, that actually it became something that was working to protect you rather than something that was there to hurt you. It's the same thing, yeah. right? It's the same yeah. story, but but by bringing it out into the light, let's just say into the open, um, now it's your strength. 
yeah. rather than your weakness, right? And you, what, what, how do you feel about that? It, it's, it's strange because, like you said, it was literally a sudden realization that the reason now my life just feels peaceful and I feel free is because all of the stuff that has happened is part of me and I talk I'm talking about it before it was start a new job well they can't find out about this or they can't know about my mental health past or that you know I was always trying to be somebody else really um now I get to be me I get to share my journey be open about it because it's part of who I am but it, it's also the reason I'm doing what I'm doing there's just nothing and and I feel so okay saying these things as well and being open about the fact that yeah like I'm unmarried I haven't I'm really bad at relationships you know they've impacted me not in a good way will I ever meet anyone do I want to meet somebody all of those things I'm okay talking about because it's just it's life it's part of life isn't it yeah yeah and it's amazing too um I think um, you 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 were saying the other day that um, it's exhausting, isn't it? So you're in a new situation and it's like, it's not, I have to try and hide these things from them, but it's always like, when will they find out? Because they always find out eventually. And then it's that pattern and stuff. And so now it's that, that that's not there, is it? It's wonderful. No. It's, it's just such a liberating feeling knowing that, you know, stuff that, I never kept things secret. They were there. I was okay talking about them, but I didn't want that to be what people knew about me. Whereas now I've realized, well, there's nothing wrong with that. And that is your journey. That is your story. And that is why you are where you are. Mm. Those things, those parts of you have got you to this place. So yeah. it's okay. It's amazing though, isn't it? Because for anyone who's listening, you know, I think we all go through our own version of 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 your story yeah. um and i think um it's great to share stories like yours but it's it's always easier to speak about it and have the wisdom and the hindsight and everything once you've come through the the jungle yeah. if you like or whatever when you're in the thick of it it's it's confusing it's painful it's shameful all of these things so sometimes um it's sort of it's wherever we are on the journey isn't it um yeah what would you say what would be your words to someone who maybe is still very much stuck in the middle of all that um i i do think you have to reach a point where you genuinely not just want to change things but are willing to do the things that are required you know a lot of what I wasn't willing to let go of were potentially people that weren't bad people in my life but also were not doing me any favors by having them around me they were keeping me stuck in that position you know my habits and behaviors were keeping me where I was you have to be willing to let things go which is painful mm. and it's hard. And if you, I think it's accepting what's going to be involved with the change. You know, we can also say, you know, I wish things were better. I wish things were better. And sometimes we will then go and talk to somebody about, right, I want things to be better. I want things to change. And then they will quite honestly tell you, this is what you're going to have to do. And then they run off because they're not ready. Mm. Um, but, I would say to anybody, at least have the conversation with somebody, at least find out what is involved in making the changes. And then in time, if you're not ready then. It's like planting will... a seed, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. It's one step. We're not saying do all the steps straight away, mm. but find out. And I think for me, I always knew what the steps were and it was until I was ready to start taking them by myself. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden when you're ready yourself, it's not as hard as it probably seemed. Um, 
but yeah I think yeah just if if you're there going I'm stuck I need to do this but everything that probably needs to run is so scary just still have that conversation reach out to somebody um who you think personally for me I did a lot of reading but I went on my social media and I just I just knew who I would click with and who I could talk to I've always been quite open I guess about how I talk but I just found my coach I found her because I don't know what it was about there was something go with your gut instinct go with what your gut is telling you saying there's something about this person and I need to have a conversation with them Mm. it and if it's the right person brilliant if it's not keep looking there will be somebody who can help you and show you the way out yeah it's amazing isn't it um in in a slightly different context because i'm just releasing the documentary at the moment i'm i'm doing just as you said um seeing someone and going oh wow we share a kind of certain common interest there and i just send them a voice note whether it's in instagram or whatever straight away and normally you know we don't want to reach out we feel maybe whatever but when we do uh I'm it, you're often surprised what can come of it and the conversations that can come of it. Yeah. Um, and if nothing comes of it, nothing comes of it. But there's no harm in, in just tr- reaching out, isn't it? Um, can I just ask you quickly, um, mm-hmm. was part of the journey acknowledging that, like if you were trying to figure out which bits are the, the things that need to change, was part of it coming to terms with accepting that alcohol was a problem? So obviously... Oh. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure like many people with whatever their thing is kind of think, well, it's not that that's just having a drink or whatever. And so, yeah, how did you what did you sort of realize actually the common components in a lot of this is is the alcohol? Um, I guess probably about three or four years ago. I knew, Hmm. but I wasn't ready to accept. Hmm. And because, again, the unknown if I stop drinking alcohol what am I going to do with my life my life my friends it's all about you know going out for drinks doing that who am I going to be without it I didn't know what it became such an ingrained part of my life it was my best friend when I didn't have anybody else and when I was on my own mm-hmm. so for me it was knowing that I had to let it go but being absolutely terrified and until it got to the point where there was literally no other choice you have to accept that this is now the one thing that will change things for you um because you've tried everything else try this see what happens and you know it it wasn't the only factor it wasn't just saying let's try stop drinking and see what happens because i've I'd stopped previously i've gone through times where i've stopped Mm. but the other things weren't i wasn't doing all the other things and that had to be probably the first thing alongside figuring out what was going on in my mind the mindset stuff the personal development stuff the acceptance and the awareness all of that was a combination any, was there any particular book that um really stood out for you or one or two like in terms of the that particular piece the acceptance and the forgiveness stuff yes um it was the first three books that I read on this whole journey of transformation were um, Good Vibes, Good Life by Vex King, oh, yeah. which was just to me a nice, I don't remember anything specific, but it was a, like a nice book to get me into the right kind of mindset for wanting to start figuring things out. But the, I think the game changer for me was um, Gabby Bernstein, The Universe Has Your Back. Mm because she had the same kind of she talks a bit about her mental health and she talks about her addiction addiction with alcohol and other things um and it was my first probably proper introduction to the whole like spiritual world type thing Mm. and I wasn't quite sure at first but I thought no I'm going to stick with this I'm going to keep going and now so many things make sense to me um and I just see things differently and I look at things from a different perspective. And it's funny because my dad actually, about five years ago, maybe longer, he started, he got trained in Reiki. He's, oh, yeah. a, Reiki, he's a Reiki master. Mm. And he's already always talked about these things and always 
you know, he does Reiki on me, but I wasn't ready to really, I wasn't ready to hear it. I wasn't ready to, you know, I don't know, throw myself into that world. Whereas now, you know, I'm teaching him things. <laughs> um, but yeah, that book, Gabby Bernstein, and also um, Eckhart Tolle, Power of Now. Yeah. Um, definitely. I've, I understand now what it is to realise that the past has gone, accept it and move on. But mm. also, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So it's only now, it's only today that you really need to focus on. Yeah. And did you... Um... Did you do any of the 12 step uh, stuff as well? Or was it more just through the books that you were reading yourself? Just the books. I didn't do 12 steps. Mm. I have attended a few meetings over lockdown, but it was as a guest of somebody that I'd met on the internet. She said, oh, why don't you come along to an AA meeting? I said, that's, yeah, I will. Um, I know it works for a lot of people and I can see how it works for a lot of people. For me, it wasn't my thing because there were too many um, restrictions and it's either, I found it very much, it is this way, you do it this way or it's not going to happen and mm. there's there's no flexibility or, um, I don't know. It's quite prescriptive, yeah. yeah. Yes, and, and, and for me... You know, that wasn't for me. I know people who've tried it and it probably helps them in the beginning and then they've stepped away from it when it became a bit too much. Mm. Um, I I think one of the big things is that they say that you will always be powerless to alcohol. I think when you're in the grips of it, yes, you are. When you're out of it, you have to acknowledge that you've got your power back because if you tell yourself you're powerless to it you're always going to be powerless to it yeah, and that is really yeah and yeah. for me that just doesn't feel empowering at all I feel like now I'm strong enough to go no alcohol does not impact me anymore I guess it must be and I, I can understand what you mean exactly but I think I guess it must be that there are um people like maybe like yourself who heavily leaned on it and then there are other people who who are kind of maybe more physiologically like um like really like physiologically dependent on it you know almost on a chemical basis or something like that where where literally you know so i, I guess there's grades of of how powerful that, that thing is on them and so as you said for some people it, it is the right thing to do it's just like quite extreme but it's what they need perhaps yeah yeah um, i completely agree um yeah. you know there's all different levels and I, and I think you, you'll find that um, a lot of them at, the, at maybe the extreme level of it don't understand why maybe people will drink non, non-alcoholic drinks mm -hmm. because they see that as, oh, you know, you'll just end up down a slippery slope. But some mm -hmm. of the people that do drink those drinks aren't, aren't particularly... Um, doing that because they had a massive problem with alcohol but because they decided actually I don't want to drink anymore but I still occasionally like to have a beer or whatever yeah yeah and also it's like people are driving more you know like like yeah. you know even I think style. I can't remember which um which company it was but one of the beer companies had their zero alcohol beer and it was called you know such and such drive so it was kind of like suggesting like if you want to have a drink but you also have to drive then here's your non-alcoholic yeah drink or whatever um it's interesting that you mentioned about because because obviously I, I in my 20s I spent like seven years as a monk so I'm quite oh, a spiritual yes. person um so when you were talking about when you were younger and you were always feeling like something's missing something's missing something's missing obviously I didn't want to say anything but in my mind the back of my mind I was thinking yeah like because in a way uh when we're always looking for completeness outside of ourselves we'll never find it right until yeah. we accept ourselves and also kind of I guess um maybe get in touch with our more uh, essential self like this the, the spiritual side um and it, a, a phrase came to my mind when you mentioned about gabby bernstein it's that a concept isn't it that all the things that are happening to me are happening for me rather than to me yeah um but you kind of have to for to believe that or to accept that you kind of have to accept that there's a there's a bigger picture 
Yes. You know, and um, um, it, it is, you know, even if it's not in a prescriptive way or, you know, by a particular religious sense, what does spirituality mean to you today? Like how how is that something that is valuable to you or useful to you in your day to day life? Like you say, now I I see things, I mean, I don't particularly love using that term of everything happens for a reason, but there's an aspect of that, that things, when they happen, whether they're good or bad or however they feel at the time, there's something there, there's something there, whether it's a lesson you need to learn, whether it's, you know, it's been put in front of you for a reason, mm. and I think it's your job to figure out what that reason is but if you're unaware of those things that's why things happen and you're not going to explore those things then you're going to do what I did for how many years and just go oh my god what is it happening to me and what what why have I what have I done to deserve this instead of looking at what potentially could be trying to tell you or guide you or teach you mm. um so yeah now I I know what it is to <sighs> I don't know I think the spiritual world for me is something I'm still exploring I'm still fascinated mm. by I'm learning a lot mm. um I want to learn more but you're you're more open to it than you were, would have been in the past yeah yeah and it's not that I wasn't open to it I just I wasn't aware mm. that you know it's it's a really strange one I think because coming from a cultural my cultural background you'd think it was more you know predominantly in my life the whole spiritual aspect but it, sometimes it it's, sometimes though i mean from my experience um it can it can appear to be there but in the external things like whether it's like the religious sense and the rituals and the festivals and all that um, it, and i'm not saying for many people who are doing that they are having a deeply experience, uh, spiritual experience but there are also many people around the world and in different cultures going through the motions of all of that who who aren't necessarily really connecting with it on a a kind of a, an internal spiritual level. So I think it doesn't really matter if you're uh, I, I think it almost exists. It can exist in parallel, but it also can exist completely separately from a religious context. You know what I mean? I think for me, growing up, spirituality was being religious. And that's yeah. why. I guess I shut it off a little bit because we weren't very religious and I didn't want to be religious I'm not saying that I don't follow my religion there are aspects that I do but I don't like you know do all the things that people say you should do this and you should do that I look at it and go right what does that really mean and what does that really teach you and what what why is it necessary before I will do something mm. um but I do now understand the spiritual aspect of it um, I'm actually reading the um, Bhagavad Gita at the moment. Oh, um, it's a hard read, but it's, <laughs> you know, now I can see the spirituality in all of it. Yeah. Before I wouldn't have understood. I yeah. would have just. And also the, the Bhagavad Gita is, is quite a heavy read. And so it's good to, if you can find one that has sort of like um, explanations and stuff, mm. the verses and stuff to, to help you. Um, but yeah, it's a book that I've studied uh, a lot, and it's a, it's a, it is a great it is a great book, but it does does require you know a bit of <laughs> sort of sticking with it. Um, yeah, I mean, I literally only read it in the mornings um, if I've meditated, so I have to be in the right mindset, and I will never read more than like two or three pages. Yeah. And those pages in the book I've got is like a little bit of like a verse and then an explanation. So, oh, good. you know, I'm, I've barely got through any of it, but I'm doing it. So I know I'm getting the understanding as I go. Well, this um, is another thing with life, isn't it? We and it's very true of, of something like the Bhagavad Gita. Better to just read one verse a day and try and digest it. It's not a case of get, like I've finished it or, you know, reading no, loads yeah. or, you know, it's even just a couple of lines if, if yeah. and let, let them sink in could be quite deep yeah I, I mean I'm enjoying it and it's very powerful and you know it's something I've wanted to do for a while but I didn't do it for whatever reason and again I feel like because I clearly wasn't ready to even take it in or accept mm. the teachings in there whereas now it's feeling a bit easier to read because I'm ready to mm. you know accept what it's saying and listen to what it's saying to me so yeah, yeah I'm quite enjoying it
Wonderful. Good for you. Good. I mean, it's, I, I really very inspired by your, your whole story and, um, and really happy for you that you're where you are now. And you're, I guess you. you're, you're also through the coaching and stuff going to be helping other people too. Yeah. How, how can people kind of find you if they um, are interested in connecting with you? At the moment, I do have a website, but it's kind of under construction, but um, <laughs> I'd say my main um place to go is my instagram um so it's at shana underscore kcj um and there i'll, I'll, is... st I'll stick that in the in the notes on the thing so thank to make you sure. and anywhere else um and facebook again same um shana underscore underscore kcj i've got my kind of business coaching profile linked to a few other things so those two are the best places until the yeah, until the website's up and running yeah um but yeah, now for me, it's all about just taking everything and turning it into good and helping other people, mm. which is all is all I want to do mm. now, really. Yeah. Um, so good on you. Um, Thank you. And thanks for sharing your story with us today. Um, if you'd like to check out Shana's work, please do connect with her on the social media handles. I'll put them in the notes as well. Um, and I'd also really encourage you to check out my documentary, Road to Vrindavan, which explores a lot of the cultural and traditional um, pressures that are on girls and also this kind of clash between tradition and culture. How do we progress but not get rid of all the stuff from the past? And how do we find the good stuff and, and leave the rest behind? Um, and so you can check that out at roadtovrindavan.com. Thanks, Shana. Um, and hopefully we, we can keep in touch. Yeah, I'd love to definitely love to do um keep in touch and thanks so much for having me.